Well, welcome everyone. It is great to see you for week five of the Alpha course. Thank you guys. Let me just ask, how many of you guys have got perfect attendance yet been here? Five for five. Wow, that's fantastic. Do not blow this now. Do not blow this because graduation's coming. And some of you have never graduated successfully from anything. So this could be, this could be that point in your life. So anyway, a couple of things I want to share with you. First off, welcome to you watching live stream or delayed video. Grace, I hope you're doing well, dear. We have a dear friend that had a little accident. And though she cannot be here tonight, she is watching live stream. So Grace, we miss you. We're praying for you. Hope you're feeling better. So, and all else are watching. Dixie, I, I hope you're watching as well. So we got a bunch of folks that are watching live stream. So um, also, uh, something I want to tell you that's a, part of the, that's a part of the Alpha course is something called the Alpha Weekend. Now, um, as I said, it's a part of the course, and it is something we typically do on a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Um, and because we're trying to fit in 15 sessions, and we're actually only doing 10 of those sessions, but it's, it's on a Saturday morning. It's October 7. This is a highlight of the Alpha course. Now, it starts at 8.30 with a breakfast that will certainly shock your cholesterol levels. I mean, it is, it, it, this is why Shoney's is out of business, because Pete Shepperstein's breakfasts do this. Um, but we would love for you to join us. This is, again, two, two sessions that we're just going to go over Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon, so we'll have breakfast, we'll have lunch, we'll be done by about 2.30. Uh, but we would love for you to come to this. If you would just register for this, uh, it is Saturday again, October 7, and it is a great time. I will tell you that folks that have been through the Alpha course, many have said this has been the highlight of the Alpha course for them. So please, please consider. If you can only come in the morning, come in the morning. If you don't typically wake up till noon, come in the afternoon. So, but we would just love very much to have you with us. And also, if you have missed any of the courses, if you're watching online, or you can just take one of these cards and you can see just through the QR codes here, you can watch any of the previous Alpha courses if you've missed one. So, podcasts and YouTube. Well, tonight uh, we are... In actually, though it's session six, we're going to do this tonight. Why and how to read, should I read the Bible? It's page 34. Now, as I've told you a little bit, uh, as we've been together through the weeks, is that if you'd have asked me about the Bible, well, I told you that when I walked onto the campus of Louisiana State University at age 17 through age 18, I did not know what a Bible was. I literally had no idea. And, um, and so I was, it's kind of interesting that you get introduced to the Bible at one of the top party schools in the United States of America. Um, but that's kind of what happened. But really, my meology did not need the Bible. Um, but an understanding of the importance of the God of the Bible means it would probably be a pretty good idea to get to know what the Bible says. And so that makes a whole lot of sense to me now. But if you would have asked me, uh, and if I'd have had a, a test um, of, uh, of the Bible, I would have, 
Well, I would have done what I did with most tests, um, just flag the heck out of it. But so if it was just Frank's remedial Bible quiz, maybe some of you could would like to join this test tonight. Um, so uh, first question, uh, why should you read the Bible? Um, my answer to that was to get really, really confused because I have no uh, right. I mean, then you're thinking this big book and uh, all this religious stuff. Number two. Is Christianity based on the Bible? Uh, I would have answered, if so, I don't know what Christianity really is. Hmm. Number three, in what Bible book is God addressed as the man upstairs? Okay, and, I, and if you're familiar, that is the gospel according to Garth Brooks. It's a great song, Unanswered Prayer, if you're familiar with that song. Um, here's another one. Um, so far, I'm 0 for 3. Uh, what book reveals the location of the stairway to heaven? Okay, that's the gospel according to Led Zeppelin, of course. Um, then on the other side of the ledger, what book reveals the location of the highway to hell? And of course, that's the gospel according to ACDC. Um, now, here's a true-false question. Noah's wife's name is Joan of Arc. <laughs> that's about the only one I thought. Um, Number seven, I think, name the four Gospels. <laughs> Maybe two of them, right? Uh, St. John, St. Paul, St. George, and St. Ringo. That's about as close as I could get there. Um, oh, write three Bible verses, you know. Whew, this tested me. But I remember my, mo my mother told me that this was in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. So she knew how far away from God I really, really was. Um, another one, uh, oh yeah, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. That's another, that's not in the Bible either. I missed that one. Uh, and then my favorite, God helps those who help themselves. And unfortunately, most of us did believe that when the Bible says just the opposite. So I did really poorly, but you know when you do bad in a test? You're looking forward to a bonus, you know, kind of some kind of redemption question, right? Did that happen to you? That happened to me. So thankfully, there's a bonus question. What Bible verse puts the most fear of God in you? I knew this one. <laughs> I knew this one. He sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So I thought I'd make a little last line a little more religious. So be good so you don't bake. So anyway, that's Frank's remedial Bible <laughs> quiz. Um, but you know, it's the, the, what's true is either God helps those who help themselves or the Bible. It can't both be true. If, if uh, Romans 3 tells us the truth about God, you know, if Romans 3.23, the wage for all have sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God, the wages of sin is separation from God. If these are telling me I, a dead person can't help themselves, they don't have the power to do that. But when it came to the Bible, because I hadn't read it, I had my own concept of who God was as a committed meologist. I assumed things about the Bible and I thought stereotypically about the Bible. But I think if we could be honest with ourselves, stereotypical thinking is not necessarily thinking. Well, it's certainly not critical thinking. 
But because we don't know what the Bible says, we make assumptions. At least I did. And if you're anything like me, maybe you have as well. And some of the assumptions are like this. You can't understand it. It's just, it's just too hard. Who can know what it really means? There's so many interpretations. Who's to know what the right one is, if there even is a right one? Um, and it's full of errors, all these errors. I mean, who can, you know, it's, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But, and, and this one, it's all bad news anyway. I mean, I got enough guilt going on in my life without the Bible just piling on. I don't need to read more stuff about me that's not right. Or my personal favorite, my personal favorite, we're not supposed to read it. That's why you don't read the Bible, because you're not supposed to read it. We're supposed to leave that to the special educated people. But where did we get that idea? Can I tell you where you didn't get it? I can't tell you where you did get it, but I can certainly tell you where you didn't get it. And that would be the Bible. I could, I could put on this screen tonight enough scriptures to make you realize this book is given for us to read. Let me just give you one because of the time. Here's Jesus. But these are written, Gospel of John, John's writing, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So typically if something's written, it's written to be read. So it's written to be read so that you may believe that you may get in the wheelbarrow, say, I do, receive the gift, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. Who needs life? Somebody that's dead needs life. So let's just go to our buddy Adam here, okay, and these cops here, so that believing you may have life, life, oh gosh, you see all these props? These are just awesome props. Okay, so you may have life before unplugged from death, plugged into life. And where is that life? If I can plug this in, this is good. You may have life where? In, there's that two-letter word, in his name. The life is in him. If what the Bible says is true, there's one life. There's one life to give. And that life to give that gives you and me life is the life of Christ. It takes me out of death, out of separation, out of enmity with God and gives me peace, forgiveness, forgiveness acceptance, belonging, meaning, and purpose. So if the Bible's true, I just don't know how to say this any more true and, and more clearly. Without Christ, we have. We, we're just, without Christ, we're, we're taking up space on the planet. We're walking, talking, living, dead people. And God wants to give us life abundantly. We're going to talk a whole lot more about that tonight. So why read the Bible? I, I, would, I, I don't want to necessarily put you a question, but I wonder how many of us have looked in, opened a Bible more in the last four Tuesdays than we have in the last four years. Decades? <laughs> you know, I mean, these are, these are things we don't typically do. Here's something that Paul Tripp, one of my favorite teachers, it doesn't he look like he should be, have taken Mr. Rogers' place? I mean, just a great, fun man. Great teacher, great speaker. He said, just follow this, every person who has ever lived, okay, that would be us here, has desperately needed the unfolded mysteries found in Scripture. The Bible is not so much a religious book. Did you hear that? Huh, it's not? Well, if Mr. Tripp is correct, 
It's not so much a religious book left to be relegated to the hollowed and separate corridors of institutional religion. Remember I said, who told you not to read it? Who told you you can't understand it? Who foisted that upon you? He's saying, this is not to be relegated, separated for only those that have some letters behind their name. He says, no, the Bible is a life book given for life purposes. So that the creatures to whom it is given, that would be you and me, would look for life in the only place where life can be found. If the Bible's true, the doctrines of the Bible are not so much ideology, esoteric irrationality, as they are living and divine tools of salvation, transformation, identity, and guidance. What a great quote by him. It's given so that we can find life, know what it is and know where it's found, and to understand peace with God, ever being transformed, knowing who we are, and receiving guidance for life. That's why it's important to read the Bible. Now, if we look in your book on top of 34, you can see that the Bible is a most popular book. And I've just got some stats here just to show you how interestingly popular the Bible is. So the number of Bibles sold on average has more than doubled in the United States since 1950. Now, these are just some stats here. But just to show you, this book has sold countless billions upon billions of copies of the year. On average, there are 100 million Bibles printed each year. It's projected that there are more than 6 billion Bibles currently in print. 140% more than the estimated 2.5 billion in print as of 1975. 20 million Bibles are sold each year. 1.66 million Bibles sold each month. 384,000 plus each week. 54.9 every day. In addition to the Bibles sold, another 115,000 Bibles are given away or distributed every day. The Bible is the runaway bestseller. Nothing comes close to how popular this book is. It's also powerful. It's powerful in its production. It's powerful in its purpose. It's powerful in its pre preservation. In present preser uh, preservation, um, it's and it's had a fairly powerful impact on a lot of men, and I could, again, bring, and women, I could bring the, the quotes here, but I'm just gonna give you three for the, lack, for the sake of time for our introduction. <laughs> George Washington, remember him? It's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Hmm, you think that's true? Well, you kinda wonder, the more we remove God from the public square, haven't things gotten so much better? Have you noticed how, much, how well we get along? You notice that? I mean, it's, it just seems just the opposite. Uh, it seems like the more we move away from the scripture in the public square, the more we move toward public evil in the public square. Next week, by the way, a little, little promo for next week. Next week, the topic is, how can I resist evil? What is the issue of, with evil in the world? What is going on? Can I resist it? Is it affecting me? What does it have to do with me? 
So that will be what we talk about next week. So he says it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. But he lived a few centuries ago, so man. Um, how about Lincoln? I believe the Bible's the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. Okay. Interesting that Lincoln, President of the United States, had kind of difficult time, <laughs> kind of a divisive time in our history, said... I believe the Bible is the best gift God's ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. I think if Lincoln were standing here saying that right now, it would hold a whole lot more weight than me quoting him right now. Doesn't make it any less true. And then Reagan said this, within the covers of the Bible are all the answers for all the problems men face. All the answers. I mean, here's another guy that lived at a pretty interesting time. I mean, we saw, did we not see, the Cold War come to an end. Um, and this man prayed constantly for that to happen and kept himself in the scripture to do that. So, fairly powerful book with a powerful impact upon a lot of people. Its preservation is Amazing. We've talked about this. It's historically intriguing to those who are in Christ, but it's also historically intriguing to the seeker, I find, as well. So let's just go back. I'm just going to go back to week two just for a minute, just to see, show you that its preservation is amazing. Remember we talked about the science of textual criticism? Okay, the literary scientific test that determines the validity or the lack thereof of a ancient manuscript, a handwritten document. Remember, we talked about the quantity of the manuscripts. We talked about the quality of the manuscripts, quanti quality, quantity being the number, the consistency is the quality. In other words, are they saying the same thing? Are all those documents saying the same thing? Are they contradicting one another? And the time span, the time span between the original document, uh, original autograph, rather, and the copies. And we talked about the fact that the Bible far exceeds any numbers of uh, manuscripts that we have. And its consistency is like, though there are hundreds of thousands of discrepancies, those discrepancies have, are, are dealing with spelling or commas, punctuation marks, things like that. But it has nothing to do with the theology, with what the doctrine of the scripture is and so we we just looked at the preservation that there's no ancient document as well preserved as the bible it was it was uh nelson gluck who was the was professor of and the, actually the president of hebrew union school he was a probably one of the world's most uh noted archaeologists he used to walk around the middle east with a with the hebrew scriptures in his back pocket and so he wrote this. He said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. They form tesserae, or just little tiles is what that word means, in the vast mosaic of the Bible's almost incredibly correct historic memory. And they're, 
again, I'm just giving you one of a multitude of things. Again, check this out yourself. There's a magazine that's been printed since 1974 called Biblical Archaeology Review. It used to come out six times a year. It comes out four times a year right now. And it's, it's all this, this periodical is for the purpose of just printing more and more archaeological discoveries. You know, it, 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 the, at about mid-1900s, it was believed that archaeology would fully debunk the Bible. All these discoveries would show that the Bible was fantasy and fable. And son of a gun, it just didn't turn out that way. The more digs, the more proof, the more evidence. That's what's written historically in the scripture is corroborated by history. So, see a lot of really interesting things. Peter Stoner uh, was an author. He wrote a book called uh, Science Speaks. And his, the book Science Speaks is on the science, of, the science of probability. Now, in the Hebrew Scriptures, there are 330-ish prophecies concerning the Messiah, who, the one who is chosen by God to be not only the Savior of Israel, but the Savior of the world, the one that would come to deliver. And so, but one person fulfilling just 48 of those prophecies is 10 to the 157th power. That's one in 10 with 156 zeros after that. Just 48 of the 330. Well, what about eight? What about eight of them? Let's just look at that. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, oh, I forgot this one. This is going to be quick. That's what that is. Okay, you get the idea? All right, let's go to the next one. All right. So, fulfilled prophecies. Just eight of them. The place of birth, the type of birth, time of appearance, Jerusalem entrance, betrayal, type of death, burial, resurrection, as, as cited in these books, which are four to seven hundred plus years before the birth of Jesus, right? So the chance of one person fulfilling one, uh, fulfilling just eight of these, not 330, not 48, is 10 to the 17th power, right? That's what that looks like, 10 with 16 zeros after that. So this is what that would look like. 10 to the 17th power is if you take the state of Texas, you would have to fill it with two feet deep of in silver dollars. Okay, so <laughs> it's an amazing thought. Two feet deep, silver dollars. Now, take one of those silver dollars, put an X on it, and throw it into the middle of the state of Texas. Add a little Texas twister, spin it up, blindfold a person, and give him one chance. Give her one chance to find the silver dollar blindfolded with that red X on it. The chances of them finding that is that. Okay. Uh, I have a little handout for you guys tonight just to show you a little bit more about how mathematics shows and gives tremendous evidence for the validity of Christ's statement that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We don't have to check our brains at the door to believe that God 
loved us and sent his son. But the love that you and I have is, as humans, we've got to know it all, right? We would need to have all the information, so we think. But we do so many things without half the information we need. We have to do it all the time. But the Bible tells us all we need to know, not necessarily all we want to know. It was Mark Twain that said this. He said, um, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. Isn't that true? I, I want to put up some intellectual argument for so many things that I don't understand. But there's so many things that could not be, I personally, much clearer than the statements that are made by God through the scriptures. So let's do a little bit of multiple choice test here just to kind of drive this home a little bit more. There was a lawyer, a Jewish lawyer uh, who came to Jesus. He was a lawyer. He, was, he wasn't an ambulance chaser or anything like that. He was, a, he was a scholar in the law. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult any uh, lawyers here. Um, he was, he was a, a, a scholar in the law. And the lawyer asked him, Jesus, a question testing him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall... See that word right there? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your, here's your multiple choice, sincerity, just, just be sincere, um, enthusiasm, just be sincere and excited, um, higher consciousness, whatever that is. Um, or just gut feelings. You know, just got a gut feeling. It's, you're going to, I hope you're not wagering your entire life now and on the other side of your last heartbeat to that. Or what did Jesus say this? Mind. Yeah. You shall, now I think this is so interesting. He says you shall love him with your heart. To the Jew, that's the whole being. And then it kind of breaks down to your soul, your emotions, kind of the bed of your personality, and all of your mind. He says to love him with your mind. I, I, I think that's interesting. You would, you would think those two words wouldn't necessarily go together. And then he says this, this is the great and foremost commandment. Okay, so if God says, here's the foremost commandment, here is above all else, here it is. You got it? Write this down. Love me. Love me. And I'm giving you good reason to love me. Because the Bible talks about him, God making us in his image. And what we're going to talk about it a little bit more, more in a moment is the fact that at the seat of who we are, we are relational beings. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But why and how should I read the Bible? Still on page 34. Well, one, God has spoken through revelation of himself. Let me just give you a couple of quick Bible facts. Some historical facts surrounding the Bible. And um, if you want more information about this, we're, we, we've got a little... Uh, a couple of handouts for you tonight, but a couple of things. It's comprised of 66 books. There's 39 in what we call the Old Testament. 
uh, in the Jew, and these are the Hebrew scriptures. So, in other words, the same Hebrew scriptures that the Jewish read, the Jews read, that's the same Bible that we read, same Jewish scriptures. They're broken up differently. They're shorter. You'll say, well, somebody says the Hebrew scriptures are only, the Jews only recognize 22 books. Well, that's because there's, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, you have first, we have first and second Samuel. The Jews have Samuel. They have first and second, we have first and second kings. They have kings. So it's, it's broken down that way. If you say, well, wait, there's fewer books. No, it's really the same. We've just broken them up. And then 27 books in the New Testament. There are 40 authors from various walks of life. It is from kings to shepherds to fishermen. It's written across a time span of 1,500 to 1,800 years. It consists of so many different types of, uh, of literature, narrative history, war stories, drama, exposition, letters, prophecies, sermons, and wisdom literature. It's written on three continents, and it's written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, or Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. So just some, some interesting historic facts or uninteresting historic facts about the scriptures. But if we just took the Bible and we just kind of made a library out of it, you'll see that the books are um, not necessarily are they in the Hebrew scriptures, are they chronological? Um, but they're broken up into the law. This is the, the Torah, okay? The, the, the law, the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five, one, two, Genesis through Deuteronomy where the law is given and, and the, the history of, of Israel and coming out of Egypt and the creation of the of the universe, and then you've got the history of Israel through Joshua, Joshua through Esther. You have poetic books, which also include prophet, prophecy within them. You've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. And you have the major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel. They're, they're not like, this is not the, the major league and this is the minor league. That's not what that is. These are just smaller books is all it is, okay? They're not... They're not, these are not less important than these are, not at all. But they're just broken up. And then we go to the, to, to the New Testament. We've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have Acts, which is the history of the first church, the beginning of the church of the day of Pentecost. The Bible talks about the pouring out of God's spirit. And then we have the letters to the churches. These are letters that are written to those who were taken out of Adam and placed into Christ, those who were in Christ. So these are Paul's letters, right? And then we have the general epistles that are written by James and Peter and, and John and Jude. And then we have, of course, the one everybody gets all excited about, the book of Revelation, which is obviously a prophetic book. So we see the scriptures are broken up. And we have a little card for you tonight just so you can kind of see that. And, and just if you want to dive into that a little bit more. Uh, we've got some some books. I meant to have a couple of books here for you tonight, just books on how to study the Bible. I'd be happy to talk to you about that afterwards or ask your table host, and we can try to get you some more information on that uh, as well. So why should I read the Bible? Well, as I said, if it's true, it holds the answers to the questions of life that you and I have. We all have, but unless you know, you and I know what it says... We just don't know how important it is. On page 35, this is what Paul writes to the young pastor, Timothy. He writes this. He says, all scripture 
is inspired by God. That literally is God-breathed, is what it would literally be translated. And it's profitable. It, it profits us. It profits us, and it teaches us what's correct. It shows us what is incorrect. It then reveals to us how to be correct for correction and for training in righteousness. Okay? To know how to live. If you're in Christ, the scripture is there to show us how to live righteously since God has made us right. If we're in Adam, the, 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 the scriptures by, through God's Holy Spirit show us how to receive Christ, how to know Christ. So it's inspired by God. If, if this really is, this book is inspired by God, this is something that you and I should want to devour if God has given us this book. And it is the truth. And so, uh, so it's, it's good for teaching and reproving, for correcting and training. The question is this, am I teachable? Am I desiring to learn more than I know now? Or do I think I already know it all? Well, I, I, I hope not. And I don't think you'd be here if after these numbers of weeks... You thought you just really didn't need to know anything more than you do. But this love-motivated book was not the picture of religion that I held in faith. Sincerely, but wrongly. I kind of felt like God was there just waiting for me to screw up. You ever get that feeling? Just waiting for you to mess up. Just got that hammer, just waiting to come down. Um... That's not the God of the Bible. So, but what it does do is it teaches me that Jesus bore the anger and the wrath of God for me. He took my place. Now, if that's true, can you imagine better news than that? No, you can't. So the Bible teaches that we have a need for God and without him, the parts, our lives just don't come together. But the issue really, the issue is need. Need is the issue. It's what the Bible tells you and me that, uh, that we have. But if I don't sense a need, then it's just information. You do understand that. It's just interesting information. That so you, could, you, could, you could actually be in a church... For years and hear the Bible over and over again. But if you think you got it all worked out, you're not hearing anything. There's a lot of folks in a lot of churches, maybe even this one, that can be that way. So if there's not a sense of need, this is just information, interesting information. But let's do this. Let's just go back to Niagara Falls for a minute. It's such a nice place to visit. Okay, so last week... If you, if you weren't here last week, um, I'll try to catch up on this. Back a couple centuries ago almost, a guy by the name of Blondin went. He, did a, he, he stra strapped a tightrope from one end of Niagara, the, um, the rapids, to the next. He did some amazing things there. Took his manager, put him on his back. Remember I, I last week said that uh, Blondin... Said, I can take a man, woman, put him in a wheelbarrow, take him from one side of the rapids 
to the next. And I asked the question, do you believe me? And somebody said, yes. And I said, get in. Because it's one thing to say, sure, I believe. But it's another thing altogether to get in and to commit 100% of your being into that man's care. It's a fascinating thought. So, so let's say we've done that. Now, let's say you and I have all come to watch Blondin do this, okay? And there's only one, set, there's only one um, source of entrance, and there's one source of exit from, this, from these rapids. And so Blondin says, hey, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of the rapids to the next. Do you believe me? And everybody's going, well, yeah, sure, but I'm not volunteering to get in. Because you know what happens today the moment you get in the, in, in, in the, uh, in the wheelbarrow, don't you? This is what happens. And people are hoping you don't make it. So they can be the first one to make a lot of money on YouTube. Think, but what if this were to happen? So we're all gathered together, rapids behind us, Blondin is saying, talking to the crowd, and all of a sudden, on the back of your neck, you start feeling immense heat. Just incredible, blistering heat on the back of your neck. And every, every one of us turns around to see, well, the way we came in was a very wooded area, and it is engulfed in flames. And it is coming right for us and pushing us toward the edge and toward the rapids. And Blondin says, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, and take them from one side of the falls to the next. Do you believe me? Here's the point. When it's a publicity stunt or interesting or something novel, that's one thing. When suddenly I have no option because I see nothing in this world that I thought would satisfy me has satisfied me. And you get the invitation for escape. Well, you can still do a few things. You can say, get out of my way, Blondin. I'm going to tightrope myself across. Or I'm just going to jump into the rapids and swim across. I've already told you, nobody ever survived that. The issue is this. Do you and I see that there is a need that nothing in this world has yet to satisfy? And I would argue, will ever satisfy. That's what's so important in this. So tonight, if you're, again, if you're here curious, thank you for being here curious about this stuff. Maybe you've never really jumped into the depths of what the Bible teaches before. Or again, you grew up in church. You know all this stuff. But you ain't getting in that wheelbarrow. I'm not, I'm not interested in being a Jesus freak. I'm certainly not interested in being as, as into this as you people are. You people are. Or maybe, maybe you've said, yes, Lord, I want to be in. I, I'm, I'm in. I'm sick of being a myologist. I, I, I want you. I, I want you. Now, now, let me say this to you. I've been committed. <laughs> that sounds funny. I've been committed for 
I should have been committed a lot longer than I have. Um, again, remember, committed doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit to this. When one gets into that wheelbarrow, they are committing themselves, all that they are, to the one that says, I can take you from one side to the next. Blonde is not looking for any help. That's what, bringing this back to the scripture, that's what God does. Okay? So, when I talk, I, so I am surrendered to, in the in state of the analogy, Blondin's commitment to take me from one side to the next. When I commit myself to Jesus Christ, I am committed, I am surrendering myself to his commitment to get me to one side, from one side to the other. Do you see the difference? It's a huge difference. Now, does that mean I'm not curious anymore? I'm more curious than ever. But I'm more committed than ever. Does that mean I don't have sometimes a difficulty believing? Oh, you bet I do. So please don't think I'm standing up here. Just believe everything that's coming down the pike. Oftentimes, there's a, there's a scripture in Mark 9 about a dad that had a, a son that was just had a, demon, a, a son that was just taken over by demons. And Jesus says, well, can't you do something about it? And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. More often than not, I'm, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Does that mean I'm not committed? I'm not trusting him? No, I am. But does that mean I don't question from time to time? Or I don't still want to know more? Absolutely I do. So I hope you don't think that once, you're, once you were to get in the wheelbarrow or say I do or receive the gift, there's no more curiosity. Don't be, don't be curious anymore. Don't ask any more questions. Just the opposite. Ask away. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Because that's what a relationship is. That's what a relationship is. And that's what a relationship does. It's just the way it is. But there are three problematic issues in getting in the wheelbarrow. Here's what they are. If I get in the wheelbarrow, if I say I do, if I receive the gift of Jesus Christ, I have to cease insisting and desiring that God accept me based on my performance. Do you understand that? I can't ask anymore for God to accept me or give me what I want, not give me what I don't want because of what I have done. That's meology. I no longer accept God now based on his performance from my perspective. That's meology too. I start believing and therefore living like God loves and accepts me because of his performance, not mine. That reality changes the way I live toward others and myself. That's biblical Christianity. So in this case, I relinquish control of my life or not. To the one who said he loved me and died to prove it. <sighs> so, back on page 35, God speaks relationship. You know, the Bible, I've heard it said, is God's love letter to us. It reveals the truth about his character 
and thereby draws us to him. The more we know him, the more I would say that we would trust him. This is what um, Paul writes again to Timothy. He says that from, that from childhood, now catch this, you have known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The scripture written by an open heart and open, uh, read by, with an open heart and an open mind says, God, Paul says, will give wisdom that will lead us out of Adam and into Christ through faith, which is, there's that word again, which is faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible is to draw us into relationship with God, a two-way relationship, a listening, a talking relationship. And this is true. I mean, you think of, think of married life for a moment. So when you uh, said, I do to your spouse, that may have been, for Annette and me, it was 45 plus years ago. Okay. John, Kim, how long? 40 what? 38. 38. Didn't want to make it seem longer than it was. Cliff, how long you and Belinda? 45. 45. Oh. That's pretty good. Now, the question, okay, Donnie, how many? Uh, he looks at his wife. Sorry. 49? Oh, cool. Okay. So the thing is, how much did you know your spouse 49 years ago like you know her now? Yeah, not even close. Yeah. So, but we say I do with all these years ahead of us. But the more you know them, this is hope. This is why marriages last, I, I think. The more you know them, the more you explore them, the more you, you trust them. And the more you trust them, the more you love them. And the more you love them, the more you serve them. And the more you serve them, the more you want to know them. And the more you want to know them, the, and the more you find out, the more you trust. And then, then the more you love and the more you serve. And then th that serving you want to, makes you want to know them more so you can serve them even better than you do right now. So that you trust them more and, and you love them more and you, and you serve them more. because And this is, a, this is a supernatural thing. So the more I dig into God's word, the more I want to know him the more I will trust him, though I may not even understand. And believe me, there will times I will not understand what he's doing. Um, but the more that I will love him and desire to serve him, that serving now is not fear-motivated, but serving is love-motivated. Can I tell you this? Religion serves God. Meology, quid pro quo religion, serves God because we're scared we won't get something or we will get something. Biblical Christianity serves God because I'm overwhelmed by the fact that God would give himself, give his son for the likes of me. It's love motivated. I don't serve so that I can be accepted. I serve because I have been already completely still sinning accepted. So that when I'm in Christ, taken out of Adam in Christ, 
I become perfectly God's son, but not God's perfect son. Do you hear me? So, our son David, our son Paul, our daughter Abby, they are perfectly our children. They can't be any more our children than they are, than they were on the day they were conceived. But they are not our perfect children. You see the difference? So, I, in, in Christ, I continue to blow it. But that's why I'm in Christ. Because Christ has done for me what I can't do for myself. No matter how hard I try. And so we see that religion, meology, wants to keep me from being in Christ and wants me to try to be good enough and do everything I want to do and yet still keep God at arm's length by being, in my mind, good enough. And it just doesn't work that way. This is what Jesus wrote. He said, read, said that John recorded, the thief, that means Satan, we'll talk about evil next week, like I said, comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. In other words, keep me away, keep me in Adam, keep me in death, keep me separated from God by all the trinkets and all the acclaim and all the things that this world has to offer. Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He's, come, he's, he's saying that life, which is not a thing, but him, is the life that is abundant. It's abundant in love and joy and peace and patience and meekness and kindness, even in the midst of the hell that we face on earth. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But I have overcome the world. And if I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ who has overcome the world. And so the Bible says that we are made in the image of God, relational. So if we're made in the image of God and that which we know of God, the only thing we can know about God is relationship. I mean, if no, if no effect is greater than its cause and the thing that we know about God is his ability to communicate, the thing we know about us is our ability to communicate, then the highest part of our being is the ability to be rational, make decisions, think, feel, those, those issues. So we're made in the image of God relational. And let me just prove it to you. This is hard, and I, I apologize. But this... Mm. Let me just go take you right now to a funeral parlor. And you're standing over the lifeless body of the person that means more to you than anything in the world. What would you not give? What would you not give to have that person come out of that coffin? You'd give everything. I'd give everything I had and I'd give everything I could get from you. You see, God 
looked over our lifeless bodies. And what would he not give for us to be spring up out of Adam and given life? He gave a son. He gave it all. For God so loved us that he gave us his son that if we would get in the wheelbarrow, receive the gift, say, I do, we would not perish. We would not remain in Adam, separate and apart from God, dead in our relationship to him, but we would have eternal life. And so there's so much of the scripture that is so important for you and me to read and to know of him. So let's just, I just want to take a second. Just, um, if you just turn to page um, uh, 36 in uh, your manual, um, uh, how can we hear God speak through the Bible? And you guys can talk about this tonight, and I think you're going to spend some time in some scriptures. But one of the things we do is just need to make, a, make some time, make a plan, just set apart, not an hour, not two hours. I mean, just start with 10 minutes uh, and then put the cell phone away if possible. It may not be possible, but um, find a pattern. Ask God to speak. Just read a short passage. Um, there's lots of different apps where you're going to talk about at your table tonight. But, but then just ask yourself when you read the scripture, what does that scripture say to me? What does it mean to me? How does it apply to me? But even before that, I would ask God, again, like we prayed last week, God, if you're there and you care, I, I, I want to know you. And apparently this book is a, a way in which I get to know you, a major way in which I get to know you. Would you speak to me? Would you open to me what this word says? Remember, we, I just read from, from uh, 1 Timothy uh, a, a minute ago, Second Timothy, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that lead to a relationship with Christ. And then just, again, have a communication with God. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest ways to pray, I have found, is by taking several different parts of Scripture, and maybe you can do this at your table tonight, but just even like Psalm 23. We're familiar with Psalm 23. If you've been to a funeral, you've read, you've heard Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. Well, what if you just took that Psalm from the scripture and turned it into a prayer? Lord, you are my shepherd. Therefore, I shall not want. Lord, you make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. Lord, you restore my soul. Lord, guide my path in righteousness for your namesake and on and on. And so when we, when we look at the scriptures, why and how should we read the Bible? As I said earlier, this is God's love letter to us. It's, some have said it's the manufacturer's handbook. It's the instructions that we need to have to make it through life. You ever try to put something together without using the instructions? Every man will now raise his honest. Okay. And have you ever found out that, you know, you have one piece left on the floor 
after you're done and then you decide to do what? Read the instructions and it, you know, you see that piece and it just so happens to say important right next to that piece that's sitting on the floor. You know, it is essential that this piece is installed early in the assembly process. And what are you going to do at that moment if you screwed up? What are you going to do at that moment if you, if, if you screwed up your life and said, thanks, God? Well, Frank, I gave you the instructions. But you wanted to put it together yourself. But guess what? I can still take that piece and put it where it needs to be. Would you like me to do that? Or you want to keep trying to make this thing work yourself? So God's word is a lamp to our feet. What's right in front of us and a light to our path. And what it reveals to us is the Jesus who is right in front of us and with us everywhere we go. If we will say, Lord, I'm tired of my meology. I'm getting in. I want you. I want you to run and rule my life. And if you do that, the Bible says he'll never leave you. He'll never turn his back on you. It's his promise. So, okay, we're going to take a quick break. Please remember the Alpha Weekend, October 7. We'd just so love for you to be a part of this. Grateful for you guys being here tonight. Let's take a quick break and get back to our tables. And I hope to see you next week uh, when we talk about how can I resist evil. If you're going through your manual, that's session 12.